Please take your Bibles and turn to that familiar verse that we heard earlier this morning in Isaiah 9-6. And the verse reads again, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Father, we come before you now with open hearts and open minds to receive your word. I pray that we would receive it, Lord, and that it would add to our faith, add to our strength, add to our confidence, and add to this life that you've given us by way of the Prince of Peace. And so, Father, as we examine this scripture, Father, I pray your blessing to be upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and as we celebrated it with Adam and Kim and their wonderful message, um, it is the Advent of Peace. And I just want to thank Adam and Kim. Uh, I thought uh, Evan and Tyson was going to be up here too, but um, I had it in my notes right here. Thank Evan and Tyson, because I think I failed to do that last year. Um, for bringing a wonderful world of peace. So in keeping with that, in prior weeks, as you know, we heard a message from Ron on hope, and then we had a message on love, and, and then a message on joy last week. And so it culminates within a message of peace. More specifically, I want to talk about the Prince of Peace. And that is the fourth candle that we have lit this morning. And although this candle is representative of the angelic message that was heard by the shepherds, as we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, I wanted to focus on the giver of that peace, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does Isaiah use the term that has never been uttered before. Although inference is given to the fact that Christ is the Prince of Peace, we don't see that term, that phrase, except in Isaiah. And so to better understand why Isaiah uses the term Prince of Peace, I think it's understand what those words mean. And so when we look at the word Prince, we see that it comes from the Hebrew word sar, S-A-R, which means ruler, leader, chief, and captain. In other words, a man with authority, a person with authority. And this makes sense because Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so we know that Christ is our authority. Now the word peace comes from, and we heard that at the very beginning, shalom, which is a customary Jewish greeting amongst two people. And typically it means that they hope that you are at peace. But the word used by Isaiah in the manner in which he used it in its proper context talks about peace in relationship to stress, peace in relationship to anxiety. Peace in relationship to disorder and what causes that. In fact, if you've been reading your Our Daily Bread, you'll see that it says in there, as far as its definition for 
shalom in the context of Isaiah 9-6 is the one who removes all peace-disturbing factors and secures it. It is the one who removes all peace-disturbing factors and secures it. And so, when we combine these two together, we see that Jesus is the authority by which He will give us peace in every area of our life. Now, we must understand that just as Jesus told His disciples that He the peace that he brings is not as the world brings peace, but it's a spiritual one. And it's one with a divine purpose. And it's the peace that we should be looking for and not peace found in the world. But because of our nature, sometimes we do. We try to find it in the world. And you won't. And so this morning, I would like to address the three key areas where we receive peace from the Prince of Peace. And the first one, and the most important one, is with the Father, as Adam and Kim alluded to. You see, since we were born into sin, we have a severed relationship with God the Father. As a result, there is a great gulf or a chasm and space in our relationship with Him. In fact, in Isaiah, later in his writings in chapter 59, as we identify it, he says this, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. That's what sin does. It separates. It distorts. It causes distance. A shutting down of relationships. And as a result, we never truly have peace. We literally lived in conflict between what we were created to be and what we were. Sinners. Although we can see the evidence of God, as Romans chapter 1 says, for everyone will see the evidence of God in His creation. We couldn't possibly have known the Savior or the Prince of Peace because it is spiritually discerned, spiritually awakened, spiritually received. And as a result, we lived in perpetual conflict and lack of deep-seated peace within our soul. I think if you look back before you gave your life to the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I think if you spend a little time examining your peace, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because it's been there ever since the fall of creation in every person born after that. And as a result, what do we try to do? We try to manufacture this peace by trying this or by trying that with some things being very destructive. All with the purpose of finding the peace that was lost 
and can't be regained by way of the world. And this is why he came. This is why Christ came as the Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth. If that was the case, we'd have it, wouldn't we? And we don't. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom as we covered in previous messages this Advent season, or else it would have been established. He didn't come to stop the wars. He didn't come to stop hatred. He didn't come to stop violence. Although we wish they weren't here. What he did come to do is something very special, something very precious. And that was he came to redeem that which was lost. And as Adam and Kim said, to reconcile all things to himself. Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, this is key, listen to this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in him. In Him. Now within this text, Paul highlights the primary purpose of Christ's coming. To redeem that which was lost and to bring back into union that which was severed by sin. And this reconciliation begins with a doctrine, what we call a doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is a vital doctrine of the Christian faith, and it lends to being born by way of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's called spiritual quickening. We call it being born again. It is the impartation of a new life where we become a new creation in Christ. This was necessary because the most devastating effects of sin was death. Spiritually and physically. And regeneration imparts a new life spiritually and eternally in Him. As a result, we have a new nature in Him. We have a new heart in Him. We have put on the new man and are empowered to live a holy life, which is the standard by which He calls us to. By way of His Holy Spirit that He put in us at the moment of believing in Him. And now we have divine impulses in Christ. No longer a slave to sin, but possessing a desire for righteousness. That was one of the things that I first noticed in my life, how I desired to do the things that were pleasing to God. Where does that come from? Not a change of mind. Not a change of focus. It comes from a new life. In Christ, who draws you to the Father every day. And all we have to do is yield to it. That's it. Yield. 
Yield to the drawing of the Holy Spirit in your life to do the things that are righteous. We've been transformed because of this work. We are being transformed in a new life continuously. We call it sanctification. It means a continuous progression, a continuous deepening, a continuing building of your faith, and a continued drawing closer to become the image and likeness of Christ. Moreover, as part of regeneration, we are also justified. You heard that term and what Adam and Kim brought, which is extremely important for us to understand as it relates to peace with the Father. It's critical. Now, we've spoken about justification many times, and we understand it to be a legal term where our position and standing before God the Father changes from being unrighteous to righteous. And we receive this righteousness not by anything that we've done, not by any accomplishment, not by any religious service or activity or belonging, but by way of Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, we're no longer stand before God, and this is important, as an enemy, even though we may not have seen ourselves as that. I talked last couple of weeks about that, how we perceive ourselves to be okay with God. And we can walk in that deception until we are awakened by the Holy Spirit. You see, we're no longer enemies of God, living in enmity with Him. That means hatred. But we're now accepted by God as a child of God, righteous through Christ. And we now have peace with God the Father. As Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No more of that internal deep conflict that you couldn't explain, you couldn't deal with, you couldn't make go away. Until you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and He took it away because your position before the Father had changed. And the conflict that drove that lack of peace was removed. And it's through the Prince of Peace and His righteousness we are presented faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. You know, it's like that parable that Jesus spoke of about the father who sees a son afar off. You know, the prodigal son. And he runs to him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him before he says even a word. And when I think of being presented before the Father with exceeding joy, this parable enters into my mind. In fact, in Luke 15, 22-24, it says, But the Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You see, there's more to that parable than just a story. That segment of Scripture details 
your salvation in every way. Now, in addition to being regenerated and being justified, where our position changed before the Lord, we were also adopted. We were adopted. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now this adopting is more than just becoming a member of a family. What it really means is we have now received all of the privileges, all of the rights, all of the heirship of a natural son. Just like the prodigal son that all has been imparted to us. This makes up our reconciliation with God the Father. We have not only been given a new nature and a new life where our position changed before the heavenly judge, but we've been grafted into the family of God. We're just not a person who came before the court and was pronounced not guilty by way of Christ. We never left His presence after that. He has adopted us in full measure, in full rights, eliminated the chasm and the distance that was created by our sin. And He counts you as His child. And because of that, because we've been adopted, we rest eternally in His presence, in His provision, in His protection, and His providence. I think Kim talked about that He is our refuge. We are now His forever. And in John chapter 17, it says, He will now in no way allow Satan to snatch you from His hand. You're His. You're His beautiful child. But you know, it even goes beyond that. Yes, the most important work that the Prince of Peace did was bring peace between us and the Father. But you know something? We're blessed by the fact that now, because of that peace with the Father, we can have peace with ourselves. We can have peace with ourselves. <clears throat> and He promised that to us. In John 14, 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace of Christ removes the fear, removes the fear of judgment, removes the fear of the damage and essence of our sin because we were born into sin and we lived in sin. It has done a great deal of damage to our person and our consciousness. Our identity is in who we are and what we do and what we own. Our esteem lied within what others said about us or how they accepted us. Our value was determined by how we are perceived and what people thought of us and the kind of clothes we wore revealed whether we're acceptable or not. This is what our teens are dealing with every day on social media. It's what we dealt with because we probably put our identity in one of those areas. 
before we came to faith in Christ. Our hurts, our wounds, they had no healer at the time. And so we suppress them until they come out as anger and bitterness, unkindness and hatred, pride and arrogance and depression and anxiety. That's who we were. And as a result, we developed tablets that were destructive and activities that were dangerous. We only know how to love the way the world does. We don't really know what true love was. As a result, we feel unredeemed, believing the lie of Satan. And so we become angry towards God without really understanding why. Let me prove that point. When you were unsaved and somebody brought the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, how did you react to it? Well, that's really interesting. I would like to sit down over a cup of coffee and hear more. You probably didn't do that. You probably became mad at the person who was bringing it. Or how many of you have ever shared Jesus Christ? And the Reception you received was anything but receptive. It was hatred, anger, and it baffled you. Why would they get so upset if I'm just sharing the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? Because there's an internal conflict going on in their life they don't even recognize. And as a result, they use hatred to shield themselves from the truth. That was me. I didn't know why I responded the way I did. But after I was saved and the truth of God's word was revealed to me, I figured it out pretty quick. It was because I was in enmity with God. I was living in hatred with God. And as a result, I had no peace. And any mention of his name brought about anger because I knew there was a conflict within me. There's a conflict within every person. And so this is who we were. And as a result, we had no peace. We had no peace with ourselves. We had no peace with God. We had no peace with others. So we lived a life of anxiety and worry and doubt and fear. They motivated us. But then Jesus enters into the equation of life. And he reveals himself in a divine and powerful way. And he calls you to him and you respond by faith. And believing in him and confessing him with your mouth. And you were saved by the very grace of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Prince of Peace enters into your heart. Into your soul and into your person, and begins the work of undoing all of the damage caused by sin, and begins to renew your mind and your consciousness so that it now desires to live not unto yourself, but for Him, fully and completely. Now, I would like to say at this moment that the peace Jesus promised His disciples is with us as well, eliminates all the influences and all the adversities that we face. That would be true if it wasn't for our sinful nature. 
Although our position before the Father has changed and we still have the issue of sin in our body, we may be presented faultless before the Father, but we still battle the urges that work against Him. And at times we don't feel the peace that He promised. But it's there. It's there. It's always there. Isaiah letter said in his prophetic letter, he says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts you. Let me read that again. You keep him, that would be you and I, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. That's the key to peace in this life in Christ is to keep your mind on Him. Peace with the Father is a completed work. Peace within ourselves is a progressive work and conditional. And the more we trust in Him, the more we will feel the peace of Christ. It is yours to possess at all times. But it takes a trusting and committed walk to walk in it. But when we yield to the flesh, we will not have the peace of Christ because guess what? You're inviting conflict into your life. It's only when we're committed to walking in the Spirit and in His power to do it that we will possess this peace that He promised. For in Romans, Paul writes, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so the Prince of Peace comes to bring peace between us and the Father. The Prince of Peace comes to bring peace within ourselves. And the third area that He brings peace is with others. With others. Because we are children of the Most High God and we confess a faith in Christ, we are to live a life that exemplifies it in every aspect. And that includes our relationships with other people. As children of God, we are first called to be at peace with others. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. We are called to exhibit the virtues of the Savior who saved us and reflect Him at the heart of our dealings with others in this world and that we are to live with them in peace. No longer are we to hold on to offenses, hold back forgiveness, becoming angry with one another, Demand our way. Respond when wronged by attempting to wrong them. We're not to look for conflict. We're not to stir it up. For that is how we may have acted in the flesh. But we are now in Christ. We're a new creation. 
called to forsake who we were in the flesh and embrace who we are in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We need to walk in that newness. Look, because we're at peace with God, because that's what the Prince of Peace brings, then this peace needs to flow out from us with others, even if they reject it, even if they respond hostily with it. We still interact with them with peace. But take heart, you can live in peace with others because as with love, you are empowered to do it. Galatians 5.22, familiar verse, we should all know it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And so as with love, in which He first loved us, allowing us then to love others, it is the same with peace. Since we now have peace with the Father through Christ and we receive peace as by way of fruit of the Holy Spirit, we have been empowered to be at peace with others. Oh, I don't know if I could be at peace with that person. Do you know what that person did to me? Doesn't matter. You've been empowered to be at peace with that person. Yes, it's a choice for you, but as soon as you make that choice, something very wonderful happens. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. All you need to do is yield. All you need to do is yield. And so because we're called to live in peace and we are empowered and walking in it, we need to continuously strive for it. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that word strive is a very powerful meaning as it means to seek after eagerly, earnestly, endeavor to inquire it. Have you ever strived for something in your life? Have you ever strived for something, a goal that you wanted to obtain? Guess what's involved in that striving? Not only commitment, intestinal fortitude, but sacrifice. Sacrifice. And so are we striving for the peace? Are we sacrificing who we are to obtain it? What we feel we're entitled to? to achieve it, to what we feel our rights are? Are we sacrificing that to obtain peace with others? It has to be intentional. It has to be purposeful. And at times, it calls us to be sacrificial. And the reason why this is so important because of the second half of this verse, which is why we are to strive for peace, and that's holiness. Holiness. That's the standard by which we are called to live, is holiness, but also to reflect Him in it. How many people can be saved by Jesus Christ through our witness if we're in conflict with people? 
I can pretty much step out on a limb and say, How many people can be saved if you walk into that relationship seeking peace? Even if they don't present it to you. Do you not think that'll leave an indelible mark on them as they walk away? Wondering what makes that person tick? Why is that person in the face of hostility and conflict that I was trying to stir up, did they walk away? Not offended, not upset, not angry, but at peace. Peace was the first thing that was noticed in my life after I gave my life to the Lord. Timmy seems so at peace because I am. Because of what he's done for me. I'm at peace with God. Why would I not be at peace with everything else? As a result of that. And so we are called. We are empowered. We are commanded. But I want to share with you the true motivation for all And it comes from a very familiar scripture that I'd like to read for you. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. These are the ingredients to peace. These are the ingredients to lasting peace. Peace. And if we truly love as the Father has loved us, whether our loved ones, brothers and sisters in Christ and friends and neighbors don't love us, if we love with a desire for peace, I believe God will honor that. And they will see it. Listen, if love is a catalyst for all that God has done, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, because it's true, then love should be the catalyst in how we interact with other people. If we truly love people, we'll strive for peace. We will desire it. We will strive for it. We will sacrifice to obtain it, just like our Savior did. Look, I've spoken to many of you this year and we pray for a lot of families in this church. And there's a lot of conflict in those families. And we pray for peace in those families. And we pray for love in those families because what's missing in conflict is Godly love, agape love, sacrificial love. And we need to continue to lift up those families that are in conflict. One may be your own. And pray for the love of God to enter into the hearts of those people. Because that's what's missing. That's why there's no peace. 
is the love of God is not there. But we also must examine our own selves to ensure we are loving as the Father has loved us. Is there conflict in your life between the Father and you? Then receive His love. And love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you're struggling within yourself, remember God loves you and sees you as precious. And His mercy is always extended to you. And if you're struggling with someone else in your life, love them. Strive for peace. Be a peacemaker. But love them. Love them. Love them. And when we do, we bring into those situations the true motivation for me, and that is godly love. Brothers and sisters, this Sunday we celebrate the Advent Sunday of peace. It was a gift we received through Christ, a precious gift, a loving gift, an active gift. Praise be to God that the peace of the Prince of Peace came. So we can have this peace with our Father. We can have this peace within ourselves. And we can have this peace with others. Therefore, let's strive for it. Let's live it out. Let's seek it out. I'll leave you with this scripture. And I believe Kim ended their presentation, the word that they brought this morning with this verse, I think, I believe. Let the Lord bless you and keep you. Let the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your peace, Lord. Thank You, Father, that You sacrificed. You were the intentional one. You did the first step. You came to redeem that which was lost, which was us. And you gave us peace with the Father, peace within ourselves, and the ability to have peace with others. So, Father, this Christmas season, let us examine our hearts in light of your word, in light of your truth, in light of your admonishment, to live in peace with you, with ourselves, and with others. And we pray this. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.